What's up, y'all? Welcome to episode two of whatever the name of this podcast is. Um, it's just Match Day 365 as of now. Not too creative, so I don't know if I'm going to change that name or not. But I hope everyone had a great weekend. First time doing this where we actually have Premier League games to talk about last week. It was the first podcast, but it was an international break, so um, didn't really have too much Premier League stuff to talk about. But definitely want to talk about not really just what happened on the pitch and results and stuff, but uh, more so just storylines, um, general storylines, so you can we can look up scores and statistics and, and all that stuff. Um, you don't need a podcast to, to help you with that. So um, I have a few talking points here. Um, as y'all may know, if you followed me previous to the past six or eight months or so, I used to be a um, this used to be a Pal- Crystal Palace account. I'm a Palace fan, so um, I don't plan on talking about Palace every single week. Um, I don't want it to make it that kind of Palace specific. I do want this to be more of just a general Premier League podcast, but I do think that given the interesting <laughs> Palace performance this weekend. Uh, it's definitely something, something that should be talked about because Premier League teams aren't supposed to allow get outshot by Brighton 20-1. to 1. That just isn't supposed to happen no matter what the team is. So uh, I think it is fair to talk about Palace and Roy Hodgson and all that good stuff a little bit um, to kick it off here. Um, I have some other talking points too, but I'll hold off on those for now. We'll talk about that uh, coming up shortly. So I know all of y'all probably aren't Palace fans, so before I talk about um, this Brighton this Brighton game, um, I figured I'd throw out a stat that might be more of note for the general public. So I, I tweeted this out out of this account earlier, uh, yesterday. But um, so as of now, the best and the worst Premier League xG expected goal uh, differentials through match week five. So a couple of these are surprising. Um, a couple of them aren't, but. Everton have the best uh, expected goal differential right now in the league. They're plus 6.2. Um, not super surprising, just given watching Everton week in and week out. You know, they've been dominant so far. And that Liverpool game was really the first, this weekend was the first game where they really didn't dominate. But, I mean, they looked like they belonged on, on the field with Liverpool, who may not be as... Uh, elite as they were two years ago, but Liverpool is still one of the five or seven best teams in the world. So um, I think it's fair to say that Everton, as long as James and uh, stays healthy and their back line stays healthy, they should be contending for 100% for top six, most likely top four, unless United or Chelsea's uh, defense and overall consistency gets fixed. I think Everton should be con- competing for top four, at least through March, March come March or, or April. Um, so Everton have the best XG in the league. Um, Liverpool is number two right behind them, plus 
Tottenham, number three, plus 4.5. West Ham, number four, at plus 3.9. Uh, if you watch West Ham, that's really not super surprising. But I guess if you just look at results, you might be a little bit surprised by that just because they sit mid-table right now. But they've looked like a really good team this year. I'm pulling up their, their XGs and all of their games. Since uh, a disappointing opener against Newcastle, they've, they've been good. Uh, in that 4-0 win over Wolves, they had a 3.06 XG to Wolves is 0.39. Uh, 3-0 win over Leicester, they had a 2.03 XG to Leicester's 0.46. And then they had a better XG than Tottenham this weekend uh, as well. So, I mean, they have Man City and Liverpool coming up next. Uh, obviously going to be two really tough games, but uh, West Ham don't look like they're going to be in a relegation battle this season. Uh, not saying they're going to be continue this run of form. They're probably not going to, um, but they shouldn't be in have it, have the scare that they had last year. Because as I might touch on a little bit later, there are a handful of teams that are clearly inferior to the inferior to the rest of the Premier League. Um, but yeah, so those were the teams with the best XGs. The teams with the worst, um, West Brom minus nine point zero four. That is, and once you hear these other ones, that's going to sound even worse. Second worst is Wolves minus three point nine zero, which is also surprising, just given given Wolves. I mean, no one has Wolves finishing outside top half of the table. So um, then we've got Fulham minus three point six six. Palace minus 3.62 and Man United uh, minus 3.30 at 16. Um, 16th best, I should say. So, yeah, West Brom minus 9.04. They've just been so much worse than every other team. Not saying West Brom has no chance to stay up. That would be silly to say, but correct me if I'm wrong, but they just don't look like a Premier League side. If Burn, if teams like Burnley are the only teams where you're like being competitive with, then that's just not a good sign. And I mean, it was an improvement this weekend. They had uh, getting a clean sheet is is always um, a step in the right direction, but just don't have a good feeling about West Brom. And I, I was looking at their team sheet uh, before the game, and I was like, this just doesn't look like a, a Premier League team. And I'm sorry, West Brom fans, if that's like offensive. I'm, I'd have nothing against the club. I'm not rooting for, rooting for them to lose. I don't think it's impossible for y'all to to stay up. But just compared to the other teams in this league, it's going to be a big challenge for y'all. But moving on, I don't want to talk too much about uh, the XG. I mean, moving on to Crystal Palace. So. It's it's hard, really hard to like find words to say because on one hand it's not a huge surprise if you've watched Crystal Palace over the past year and a half or so. That's how the team plays. I mean, they very defensive, are very organized. Um, uh, they have a strategy, and often they they stick to that strategy and they play air free football and end up getting results out of it. That's you know, on, on the positive side, that's how Palace stay up under Roy Hodgson. That's how they avoid any relegation scares. They're consistent. Um, even if it's boring football, like it's consistently good enough and organized enough to where they are going to steal a draw or steal wins here and there just because they are really, I mean, to be like, to be fair, the team is a really good defensive team and 
Roy Hodgson is a great defensive manager. The thing about it is you still need some sort of, not balance, but something has to be happening in the midfield to get the ball forward, and that's just not happening. And if this was against, you know, Tottenham or Everton, yeah, the, the strategy of sitting back and uh, just hoping to hit teams on the counter, uh, that, that, would be, that would make more sense against a Tottenham or an Everton. Um, but you're playing your, your rivals. You're playing Brighton. Brighton, they have looked good this season, but, I mean, it's a, it's a huge rivalry. They're not an amazing team. You already have six points through four games. Palace and honestly, most likely Brighton aren't going to be going down this season. There are Fulham, West Brom, uh, Burnley, Sheffield United, Newcastle. I mean, I think those team, those are the teams who really need to be fighting for every point they can get. I don't think Crystal Palace needs to be, you know, fighting it out for a draw against Brighton. And as I mentioned earlier, Brighton finished with twenty shots. Palace finished with one shot, and that was a penalty. It's just that that stat alone is just disgusting. Like fans should not, whether it's in person or at home, fans should not have to watch a team play that kind of football against Brighton. Like I said, if you're playing Tottenham, if you're playing, you know, Man City, okay, you can defend and try to hit them on the counter, but it's Brighton and. When you see your manager after the game, giddy and um, like clearly um, thinking positive in terms of the result and how his team played, just I mean, he, Roy Hodgson after the game was smiling, he was laughing, he he's he looked very relieved to like to come away from that game with a draw, which you should never be relieved to, you know, leave a, a, a rivalry game with one point. Um, I mean, sometimes maybe, but he seemed so excited to just come out of that with any sort of result. Like, it's Brighton. You, sh- you shouldn't be happy with the point. You should be going for a win, especially when you already have six points in four games. You're not. You have enough talent to finish mid table. Why are you playing like you're a, a League One side against a Premier League team? You have. I know. Last year, the whole the whole meme was you know defensive midfielder FC, which I mean, really playing three defensive midfielders last year. Yeah, Palace earned that nickname, but this year they switched it up a little bit. You have James MacArthur, Jairo uh, Riedewald, who are good box to box midfielders. I mean, they they can both get back, um, track back, and defend their their own third, but they also are pretty good on the ball, especially Riedewald. Um, very tricky on the ball, um, quick going forward. And so so why is it that you're just sitting back and defending when you have the midfield players, you have the wide players, at least uh, um, Wilp Zaha, although he was playing up front. Uh, you had Schlupp on the wing, who has, has been good when he's been healthy this season. Like, you have talented enough players to beat these teams that you're just sitting back against. It just doesn't make sense. You see teams like West Ham and Villa um, just going for it this year, and they're winning games. Meanwhile, Palace, yeah, they're sitting in a decent spot right now, but it's the most boring football. No fans are happy right now. No fans are happy with the style of play. Um, Okay, the team might finish 15th, 14th, but... If it's going to be this boring every week, 20 shots to one, 
I mean, essentially 70 percent possession to Brighton. When you have the better players, that is just not acceptable. The whole Roy Hodgson, Roy in, Roy out thing, it's tough. He has one year left on his contract, so I mean, there's no way he's going to get sacked, barring a, a horrible collapse and a, a long stretch of games. So I mean, I guess it makes sense. Just stick it out with his strategy because it will keep Palace up this year, but um, there's absolutely no way he should be brought back this summer. Not saying he's a terrible manager, but it's just not worth it because the fan, not, the the fan base is unanimous, almost unanimously uh, unhappy with how Palace are, are playing right now. Regardless, I know results matter, but um, it's not fun. It's not enjoying, and that's what football should be about: is enjoying uh, your time on the weekends watching your team play, um, not just winning games or getting results, but just enjoying the two hours you get of watching your team play. So yeah, that was, um, and palace have actually, like I said, palace have had a ton of horrific games like that, either where they lose four Oh or where it finishes zero zero or where palace squeak out a one zero win where it's disgusting, but they, that just seems to be the way that Roy Hodgson wants to play. He doesn't care how disgusting it is. He doesn't at all. If it, if, I honestly think if every single game were to finish 1-1, Roy Hodgson would be happy. Like, he'd be completely satisfied with 38 draws in a season, 1-1 every single game. I don't I don't know why, but he just wants to get any sort of result against any team, and he'll be happy with it. It doesn't matter who the opponent is. And that's what's frustrating is that Palace now and then do – steal results against big teams, but they also play such a lackluster style of football against small clubs, which is a small club mentality. And Palace are not a small club. Um, They've been in the Premier League eight years now. Um, They've been in the Premier League a handful of seasons before that. And um, this isn't a a tiny club. This isn't Huddersfield Town or, or... Something that just miraculously makes the Premier League. This is Crystal Palace. They shouldn't be, you know, sitting back against Brighton. So if you want to talk more in depth about it, feel free to reply to this tweet with the podcast uh, or just hit me up in general on my Twitter. I was down to talk more about specific Palace stuff. But because this is a general Premier League podcast, I don't want to go super in depth about all of Palace's issues. So We'll take a quick break here, and when we get back, talk more about other Premier League action this weekend, including Harry Kane and him carrying Tottenham this season. So, we'll take a quick break. Now that you wandered to the clearing in the woods where the weeds way in the wind, and you found a dead deer and you made it into moccasins. Overjoyed. So Harry Kane, um, yeah, I I missed the Spurs match this weekend, but I did watch the extended match highlights, which is like 20 minutes long, um, and it was apparent that every single chance Spurs had was because of Harry Kane, um, not just his 
was it two goals and an assist, I think? Or two goals and uh, the pass leading to an assist. But he hit the post, another shot outside of the box. He just missed another curling shot. Uh, so two, two curling shots he almost scored as well, aside from his two goals. Um, and, you know, it, when I watch him, it just makes me think that sometimes strikers get the benefit of the doubt when their teams aren't playing well. It, it, you know, it's always, oh, the midfield didn't provide provide enough uh, going forward. The midfield didn't, you know, the service just wasn't there. But when I watch Harry Kane, it makes me feel like strikers should be creating for their team no matter how the midfield and the other attacking options are playing. Because Harry Kane comes back for the ball. Um, he, he doesn't need his midfield players to be putting in great performances to to affect the game um you know and i don't mean to hate on uh pierre emmerich obamiang specifically but i feel like arsenal fans always whenever he has a bad game or whenever he goes whenever he's non-existent in a big game it's he the arsenal fans will often say oh well the service was terrible he you know the service has to be better which is true i mean Strikers often do need, you know, service to get consistent chances. But if you're a world-class striker, you're not going to need, you're not going to be relying on other players to be playing super well consistently for you to produce um, great performances. Harry Kane does everything well. Um, I will say he plays annoying sometimes in terms of falling really easily in the box and. I saw that video of him looking back uh, to see when the defender was going to jump, and then right when he jumped, he ducked so the defender would flip over him and like land on his neck. Uh, that's annoying. I mean, he, he doesn't really play a super likable style um, just because of some of his antics, but you can't deny that he is definitely the best striker in England right now, and honestly, he has to be up for being one of the best players in the world so far this season. I, I swear he's been involved in every single goal Spurs have scored this season. I know he had five assists before the international break. Now he's up to five, wait. Is this he's up to five goals and seven seven assists in five games? That's that's like Messi 2012 like numbers right there. I know it's only five games, but five goals and seven assists in five games. That's absurd. Um, and I feel like that's just not being talked about, being talked about enough. Obviously, he's getting he's getting credit for how well he's played, but like he he, he is starting off the season better than any player I can remember ever, like ever, and through five games. I'm not saying he's going to keep it up. I'm not saying he's going to have the best Premier League season ever. But through five games, five goals and seven assists are ridiculous numbers. Um, so I think he should be getting credit not just like in the Premier League but in terms of the other, you know, superstars in world football right now. Uh the rest of his team on the other hand, I don't know what the hell they were doing in the second half. It seems like they just thought the game was over. Um credit to West Ham. I mean, I mean they really didn't play a, a bad game. They had a couple of just poor defensive errors slash displays early on, but after they kind of got it together they look like the better team. And I, I said earlier that they actually had a better XG than, than Tottenham in that game. And 
they outplayed Tottenham after um, those first 20-25 minutes. So it was definitely a deserved point. And something just seems different about those, this West Ham team, even in the second half of last season, they had some really good um, performances. Obviously, the second half last season, they weren't great. But um, I think Suchak in the midfield and Bowen on the wing, those two players, since they've arrived, they've just added something, especially, especially Suchak uh, there in the midfield. He's He's been fantastic. And um, I remember him on FIFA, I think, 19, or maybe it was 20. Um with whatever team from Prague he came from, he had super high potential. So when I saw he went to West Ham, that's how I, how I knew him. But he uh, he's definitely made a huge difference. And uh, that's another player who I don't think is getting enough credit um, outside of the West Ham fan base. I think since West Ham isn't a, a big six, six club, they're not going to get talked about as much. But Suchek is great in the air on set pieces. I know I think he, he's... Scored at least two or three goals off corners since the end of since toward the end of last season. I mean, he's such a big, tall presence, um, and seems to be a very accurate header as well. And he's just a good box to box midfielder, which is what West Ham needed. Uh, just given Declan Rice when he is playing in the midfield, he's more defensive minded. So, um, yeah, I like how they're playing. I like how West, uh, not West Ham, uh, Aston Villa are playing. Um, which obviously goes without saying, but I think it's only fair to talk about them a little bit given they've been really the best team in the league this season, bar maybe maybe Everton. Um, and I think, honestly, what happened with Villa, because even before Ross Barkley uh, arrived before that Liverpool game, they were still looking like a much better team than last season. I feel like what happened is they were they avoided relegation so narrowly last year that they probably came into this season with, um, you know, nothing to lose. Uh, just go for it every game. Go for wins. Uh, play play more attacking, more aggressive. and Because wins do so much more for you than draws. And I think they were just settling so much last year for draws. It being their first season back in the Prem. After surviving, they kind of know what it's like now. Um, they know that you should be going for three points instead of one. If you want to truly be a great team, which Villa are a big club, they have history, they have some really good players, so why not just go for it every game? Um, and now they have Ross Barkley, uh, and they have Jack Grealish, they have Tyrone Mings, they have Emmy Martinez, they have Ollie Watkins. I think those are five players who are really good players in this league. So um, I'm happy for their fan base. Uh, they definitely deserve it. Um, elsewhere, what else happened this weekend? I'm not going to really talk about too much else, but um, I know Man United beat Newcastle 4-1. I was happy that Harry Maguire scored. At first, he was kind of a meme earlier this season, but you know, after the England red card, it became apparent that he just wasn't fully there mentally. Um, not just because of that tackle, but you know, just with his performances this season. So. Uh, good for him that he got on the score sheet and Man United got back to their winning ways. West, Ham, West Brom, Burnley, 0-0. Like I said in last week's podcast, I don't. Even, I I watched half that game. I don't even know why. It was the most pointless game of all time. It was going to end 0-0 the whole, the whole way. I mean, there were some chances, especially for Burnley in the second half, but West Brom, Burnley just screamed 0-0-0. So... Um, you know, Villa got that 1-0 win over Leicester. Um, that was a great hit by Barkley at the end. 
Uh, they're just playing with so much confidence right now. You don't want to be playing Aston Villa right now. Uh, Sheffield United, Fulham, 1-1. It doesn't, you might not think about it, but Sheffield United only getting one point out of this game is really, really bad for, for the Blades uh, because they now play Liverpool, Man City, and Chelsea before the next international break, and they have one point. So um, this is a game they really should have won or focused on winning because now they have three games where they could very likely get zero points and they would thus probably be in dead last in the Prem um, going to the next international break. So that will be a storyline heading into this second quarter of the season is will Sheffield United, especially after these next three games, you know, find their form again. Um, not that they've been playing terribly, but uh, something's been missing from, from last season. Their confidence isn't fully there. Um, or will they, you know, be in the bottom three as we head into the second half of the season and worry about going from fighting for Europe last year to being relegated this year? Um, Man City, Arsenal, 1-0. I thought that was a pretty standard game. Um, obviously, without Kevin De Bruyne, Man City aren't going to be dominant. And without Kevin De Bruyne and David Silva, I mean, they didn't really replace him. So um, there's a huge, a couple huge holes in the midfield. Um, but still, even without those two players, they're still a little bit better than Arsenal. So that's not too much of a surprising result. Uh, Chelsea, Southampton, 3-3. I said going in this game last week that Southampton, I know they um, started the season off poorly, but I still think Southampton are going to finish top half and can even fight for a 7th or 8th place place finish and maybe squeak out a, a Europa League berth. I still believe in this team a lot. I think all around they're one of the most complete teams outside of the big six in the league. Um, they there's, there's really nothing about this team that tells you that they can't finish in you know seventh place. They have Danny Ings. He's one of the five or six best strikers in the league. Uh, they have a solid midfield. As much as James Ward-Prowse is hated by Crystal Palace fans, he's a, a very good player. Um, they have great fullbacks. Uh, they're really they have great chemistry, and so I'm not surprised at all that they, they came back and, and tied Chelsea three three. Chelsea has to sort out that defense. Kepa cannot be starting anymore. He's just his head is gone. They need they, he has to be third choice goalkeeper at this point. They just have to bite the bullet and accept and just take that take the L on that Kepa deal because I mean, it seems every single time he plays, he is costing them at least one goal. And one goal in football is often uh, the difference between a win or a draw or a draw and a loss. So uh, Chelsea's attack is top three in the league. They have a good midfield, but they're not going to finish top four unless they do something with that defense. So, um, and then Leeds Wolves, 1-0 to Wolves. That was like the most classic Wolves performance ever. Um, essentially just like a, they're a better palace and like a little bit more watchable because they're, they have a little bit more quality all around. Um, yeah, 0-0 at halftime. Nothing happened in the first half. And nothing really happened in the second half either, but they just found a way to, to score. Uh, it was a lucky goal. It was a deflected goal. 
um, a Raul Jimenez shot, I think like 20 or 25 yards out, deflected off a defender and went in. So um, not hating on Wolves at all. I mean, their strategy works. I was tweeting about it after the game. They've gone now. Uh, their past nine wins, they've had they've held their opponent without a goal in their past nine wins. So when they go up, they are essentially impossible to um, come back on. I mean, their their tactics when they go up one zero are uh, superb. So um, I was glad to see Wolves get get a win, and honestly, Leeds needed to be humbled humbled a little bit. Uh, not saying that their fan base is awful or they're not a good team. They are a good team, but um, I just think that was a classic Wolves performance. So that will do it for this uh, week's podcast. I don't want to drag it on too long. It's already been almost a half an hour. So, um, yeah, if you have any any thoughts on anything this weekend, if you have any thoughts on Champions League games this week, upcoming matches, feel free to um, reply. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit up my personal Twitter. Um, I'm pretty much an open book. So hit me up at Mikey McCarrens on Twitter. But yeah, good weekend, slate of matches, uh, some entertaining games. And um, looking forward to Champions League tomorrow on Wednesday and then some more Premier League action this weekend. So I uh, hope you all have a great rest of your week. If I had eyes in the back of my head, I would have told you that you look good as I walked away.